HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a nonprofit with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Change menus, change lives. Learn more at chefscollaborative.org. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now. Wondering how we're going to fix the broken food system? Find out on this episode of Tech Bites. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners listening to us in 65 countries around the world, about a million strong every month. I always take pause every time I say that. That's amazing. 65 countries around the world are listening to this podcast, maybe. Thank you. Thank you. Tech Bytes is the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk to influencers and innovators in the food tech space. And today we have a full studio of influencers and innovators circling around the Food Bytes event, which just concluded in New York last week. So we'll be talking to a lot of people who are digging in and trying to fix a lot of the problems in the broken food system. But before we get to that, we will do like we always do. At the beginning of every show, going around the shipping container and talking about apps. Apps we like, new ones, old favorites, something that's been living on your iPhone home screen for the past 10 years, perhaps. It's the 10th anniversary of the iPhone right now, which is amazing. And we will start off in Mission Control, the man who turns our shipping container conversation into 
Live Radio, David Tatashore, our engineer. That's and me. The studio manager. Hey, how's it going? It's going pretty good. How about you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. I, you know, for long-time listeners, our show used to be on Monday in the afternoon, and now it's Thursday mornings at 11, and the shipping container is a part of Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and the restaurant opens at 11. So it's an interesting change in dynamic where we start the day, Mm. we start the show in sort of a more mellow, quiet dawning of, you know, the pizza day. At least until the staff starts to blast music because there's no uh, diners in the restaurant yet. Exactly. But I see people getting ready to sit, so here comes the music. Right. Well, speaking of blasting music, my app today, uh, I want to mention Spotify, which I'm sure some of you have heard of, uh, because they just recently decided to lower their loudness normalization levels which means that basically all the major streaming services now are are comparable in terms of how loud they make their music available for streaming. So that's kind of a step in the right direction toward better dynamics in recorded music. So they lowered the volume? Yeah. And it has to do with the quality of the music not preserving the health of your ears. Well, I mean, I guess both things are are a concern. So so like a mastering engineer, one of the a mastering engineer's jobs is to make sure that the levels of all the songs on a release are roughly the same level and that they're also competitive with similar uh, songs in that genre or format, whatever, on the radio. And with digital technology, beginning with like CDs, they started to realize that, oh, we can make things a lot louder. And so it just became this escalating arms race and as a result, now we have like what's called the loudness wars, and that sort of like culminated with some like embarrassingly loud records. Like, there's like a Metallica album, a Red Hot Chili Peppers <laughs> album that are famous for being too loud. They're distorted, and anyway, this is just a way of pulling it back a little bit. So taking it down from eleven. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe back down to nine. Well, then you probably get better quality and clarity. And I wonder how many of us non musical sound engineer people can actually hear the difference. I think you will, because the way that these new loudness measurements were arrived at, it was with human testing. In addition to like the mathematical formulas, there's also an element of human uh, testing involved. And so like hmm. loudness is the perception of you know, the difference between the quietest and the loudest parts of a song. And That's so interesting. to make something louder, you squash it, you make the, the distance smaller. And so that's why everything on the radio, like most pop music that you hear on the radio, it sounds just like squashed literally hmm well there you go the sound wars i have a lot to say about this as you can see i guess you do maybe you need a (laughs) show david yeah maybe you and the other engineer should no no but you just said you had a lot to say i I just said it (laughs) fair enough fair enough but enough about me but enough about you what do you think about me also joining us today is Paola Savanti from Rabobank, the uh, creating, sponsoring company of Food Bites. Thank you for coming out to Bushwick. Thank you for having me. Do you have an app that you really love right now? Honestly, it's simple, but I love WhatsApp. It just, I'm constantly in touch with everybody, uh, and it's a great way to share everything that's happening. So it's simple, but it's definitely what I use the most in my phone. 
And what is it that you like about WhatsApp more than the other texting, communication, voice call services? Is there anything specific that drew you to it? or? Um, I, I think it's a bit of a network effect. Like mm-hmm. everybody I talk to is on that, especially outside of the U.S. I think here people use text messaging a lot because it's all free, but um, a lot of my friends and family are out of the country, and so they're, it's more of a Wi-Fi thing. I first started using WhatsApp when I was traveling abroad because it is free over Wi-Fi. So if you have Wi-Fi, then everything is free, and it's great because you can do voice calls and send video and photos. But increasingly, I think that the popularity of WhatsApp has is growing because it's one of the best encrypted messaging services. So um, we are talking more and more about security, personal security, data security, cybersecurity, messaging security, and all those kinds of things. And WhatsApp is typically on you know the top five lists of things that you can do to make your personal tech more secure because it's it has a very good encryption on the texting. That's what I hear. <laughs> I, I'm not a security engineering, so I just trust it. But um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Also joining us today is um, the winner of the Food Bites competition, which is very exciting, Bruce Rasa from Ag Voice Global. Bruce, hey. thanks for coming. Sure. Thanks for inviting us. Well, you're the winner, so you know, it was <laughs> like, who won? Let's get the winner. So that's an easy one. Do you have an app that you like right now? And the rule, one of the rules is that you're not allowed to talk about an app that you own, have worked on, or invested in. Ah, I see, I mm. see. Well, this could take a while. No, I'm kidding. Um, we can come back to you. I, I actually, I really like the, um, the new integration. It's a little boring, but, but it's a very useful app. If Amazon's new app, it now has Alexa built into it. Which, which app? Because Amazon has several. They have music, shopping, video. Uh, this is the core app for, for, for shopping. shopping. Exactly. Okay. The one that has the little supermarket. Yeah, because a lot of people the, are like... Or the little shopping cart. Yeah, that's exactly mm-hmm. right. Uh, and part of it was because people are like, well, what's that little voice thing? What's the Alexa thing off in left field? And now people can kind of see how that could come together. If, it's, if voice is a super convenient tool, it can be used to enhance how we you know, collect wish lists or shop or things like that. So um, I just find that one really useful. I, I have, you know, I bookmark my books and other stuff I want to buy. Okay. Just using voice. Okay, Alexa on the Amazon app. That's it. Does, uh, can Alexa talk to Siri, I wonder? Are they friends? They get along. They do? Are you yeah. sure? Not a lot. Not a lot. You should try it, by the way. There's, there's some videos that you can find that uh, where they kind of talk at Google Home, talking to uh, an, an Alexa, or uh, they, and they, could, they can go back and forth every once in a while. I am definitely going to look into that. Yeah, that might make for a great show, yeah. actually. Yeah, especially, I mean, it's a, it's a very timely uh, app to call out, especially right now, given mm-hmm. the, the recent news. For those of you listening in the future, this is Tech Bytes episode 102, and we are live broadcasting on June 22nd, 2017. And just about a week ago, Amazon announced they were buying Whole Foods for a little over $13 billion, and that's kind of created a seismic shift in the world as we know it. Absolutely. Just across the board. Regardless of if you work in retail or supermarkets or not, it's going to kind of change the way you live probably a little bit. Yeah, I would agree. Okay. So timely. Alexa, now on the Amazon app. Yep. Okay. See if she can make friends with Siri. Also, 
in studio today, we have Mike Annunziata, co-founder and CEO of Natural Cuts. Mike, do you have an app that you like right now? Yeah, it's actually kind of timely because for about the last week, we've been thinking through ways as a, as a startup that we best communicate our message with our name. So we've been uh, spending a lot of time in the dictionary.com app using thesaurus. Oh. Oh. Uh, you'd be amazed how many new words you can learn just using thesaurus. Uh, so trying different different things that kind of communicate our, our message and our technology to the world, uh, maybe a little better than Natural Cuts. So we've been doing some exploratory work with a, with a firm in New York. Well, that's an interesting thing to hear because it's true. When I hear natural cuts, I actually thought it had to do with meat. You know, I went right to the butcher shop mm-hmm. kind of place. Natural cuts of mm-hmm. meat, you know, beef, pork, chicken, um, and it doesn't have anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's right. <laughs> that's right. So, so hence the saurus. Uh, we're, we're working on a new name and, and trying to figure out a better way to communicate kind of the, the potential of what we're doing uh, with with the shelf life extension for vegetables. Okay, great. Well, so that's a nice sort of round robin of, of different apps. So we have everyone here, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, Rabobank created an event called Food Bites. It's a global event. It's a ag food tech Conference that incorporates a pitch off for startup companies. It usually lasts a couple days. There's mentoring and networking and opportunity to connect with investors. Um, it's really great. I would uh, take a look at it. The next one is coming up in Austin in September of 2017. If you want to look at the details of it, it's foodbitesworld.com. So the New York City version uh, wrapped up last week, and you know, as advertised, they had a pitch off and they had some winners um, for who the you know great new hot startups are. Very specifically, with an eye to fixing some of the food problems in terms of availability, accessibility, quality of food, nutrition, and that type of thing. So. Paola has been on the mentor side of these events um, and it is part of the Rabobank team that is in the food ag tech space. Paolo, what kinds of things are you looking for when you select companies to participate in Food Bites? Because right now there's lots and lots of startups, there's lots and lots of accelerators and groups and conferences and pitch-offs. Um, it's almost... Uh, it's almost like entertainment from one point of view. I mean, there's a part of it that's very serious and moving business forward in a, in a substantive way. But there's also a part of it where I feel like I can go to a pitch off, you know, once a week in New York City and, you know, listen to the stand ups. And it's kind of like Shark Tank. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, it's true. And it's actually very exciting that there are so many sort of people involved in trying to find ideas to do things better and differently. And we're lucky enough that we get to read through a lot of those in choosing uh, the finalists that eventually do get to pitch at Food Bites, which is 20 companies. Um, And actually, aside from the mentoring sessions, one of the things that I have done on the side of the bank is read through 
all of the or most of the submissions that we get and make initial um, sort of judging calls. How many submissions do you get typically? So this last time we got over 160. Wow, that's a lot of reading. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's fun, and you get to learn a lot of what's going on, and and you get better once you do it a few times. You get better at identifying um, what we're looking for, and to that, to answer your question, is we usually sort of rate them in in terms of five things that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, one of it is the, the company has to have a business model that makes sense. They need to be able to understand how the revenue stream is going to be, um, how they're going to be able to scale where the growth opportunity is uh, because the idea is for these to be uh, companies that are that have a sustainable business model not that need to be sort of financed through donations or something like that. The second point is um, that they have a product or technology that gives them a an edge, a competitive advantage. Something unique. Something different. That Something would. unique. Do you look for things like patents or uh, trademarkable things or where really you can sort of prove definitively that it's a unique I mean, if they have them, it, it's great, but a lot of times we, the companies we get are still too early to actually mm-hmm. have patents already. Some of them do, uh, but it's not a prerequisite. But the point is that, that it's... Some, that they have something that's different um, and that it will be game-changing in the sense of changing the status quo. Another thing that we look for is um, that there's a need in the market for it so that they can show that customers want it, that they've had some sort of traction with it. Um, and the last and very important thing is that it has an angle of sustainability or social good. So we want it to be companies that are looking to innovate, to make things better. Um, so we don't want just a good business. We want a good business that is there to do good and to help us feed in a more sustainable way more people and provide access to more people. When you talk about you know, the, the fourth piece about what people want you know, interaction with the public and consumers. That's a really interesting um, piece in that, you know, famously, a lot of the very, very successful tech, you know, many of the things that came out of Apple, for example, Steve Jobs was famously not interested in, you know, sort of public opinion and whether or not people wanted it because he was so convinced that he was creating something people had never seen and that they didn't know they want until they saw it. Um, do you have, you know, sort of along that idea, is there a, a balance point in between what consumers think they want, what they should want, what's best for, like, the planet or the environment, what's something new that they maybe can't have an opinion about because they haven't seen? Because yeah. um, that seems to be, I mean, all of the other ones, you know, I understand completely and make perfect sense the middle one about what people want it sort of seems like it, it has a, a, a quite a bandwidth to maybe go a lot of different ways no you're you're definitely right on that and there's a lot of times that people don't know that they want it because like you say they haven't seen it right did know you know you wanted is. an iphone 12 years ago no idea <laughs> exactly but now you can't live without it can you exactly <laughs> yeah no what we mean is more that they have done some sort of it's been in market of their product that they've had some traction mm-hmm. exactly so it's been in market and people have responded or connected to it in exactly. some way exactly the issue that you talked about also which is linked to this and it's something that we talk about a lot is the question of what consumers want or think is good versus what we or somebody else could 
think is good. You know, sometimes the consumer is always right, and sometimes we might think we know better. And so that's always a hard sort of thing to navigate, mm-hmm. which is, well, what is better for you? You know, nowadays where everything is labeled healthy. Right. Um, or, there, you know, if there's, a, if there's someone who has sort of a larger, a larger vision. I, ha- I did a show a few weeks ago um, on Impossible Foods, which is the yep. startup in, everybody's nodding, yes, the startup in California. And, you know, they're, well, they're most known for their Impossible Burger, which is a completely... Um, vegetable vegan product that really replicates a beef burger. And the interesting thing about Impossible Foods and the Impossible Burger is that um, the impetus is not to actually create um, non-meat vegetarian alternatives for things. The actual thrust of the company is to be impactful for the environment and create environmental change for the long term. And one of the means to the end to that in terms of solving some of the environmental issues that they identified was solving some issues in agriculture and farming and food production. So the Impossible Burger, which is, you know, vegan and vegetarian and all of that, is the means to the end where if, you know, you could get people to convert from a beef burger to a a vegan burger, great, but the impact on the environment in terms of the water it takes to raise a cow, the land it takes to raise a cow, the, you know, what you have to feed it and all those kinds of things. If you reduce that, you know, water footprint, for example, that has an exponential positive effect on the environment. So it's interesting when, that's why I asked the question about like what people want and what they need. You know, people need to have a better environment 50 years from now that maybe means that they need to eat a, a vegan burger today. <laughs> but they might not know that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what, what were some of your um, favorite discoveries when you were looking through the different companies, like really interesting things, things that surprised you? Do you see trends? Were there a lot of companies that were maybe circling around the same problem or issue? Or Yeah, there's, there's definitely some... Um, problems that keep coming up. For example, reduction of food waste. Very is, popular right now. That is something that we get a lot of applications and whether they're geared towards reducing food waste at the production farm level or at the other end, the retail and food service. So uh, around food waste, we all always see a lot. Um, there's always a lot of applications that are for products that are with better for you ingredients, sort of non-gluten. Um, and the funny thing is we also see changes in the trends. So depending where the Food Bites events is, mm-hmm. um, whether it's in, we've done it in Boulder, we've done it in San Francisco, we're, as you mentioned, we're going to Austin in September, we've done it in New York, in Brooklyn, Manhattan. And we do get different kinds of applications depending on where the event is. And that well, That's has, interesting. Yeah. Definitely. What do you see more of in San Francisco, for example? Well, in San Francisco, there were um, a lot of tech things, mm-hmm. but also... Because a, it's Silicon Valley adjacent, exa- no doubt. Exactly. Um, but also a lot on the providing the consumer with packaged goods that are 
sort of this better for you or improved versions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of others. Um, this time in New York, we actually saw a lot of technology, and that is something we really like because at the beginning, a lot of the companies were not exclusively, but major- the majority of them were on the consumer packaged goods side, mm-hmm. so selling some sort of snack. Right. Um, Healthy snack. Exactly. Snack, better snack. At, at the beginning, it was mostly about that. And while that is interesting, uh, there is a lot already out there. Yes. And so they start getting repetitive. And when we start seeing things with more technology, with more innovation on the production side, which is something that we saw a lot of this time in New York, um, we like that change where, where it's going one step further um, and you really see people that are doing amazing things and what we like is to try to bring together the production side, the agricultural side, the technology side of that with the consumer side which sometimes they seem to be a little bit um, disconnected Disconnected, yes. Yeah. Well, and that's the perfect storm to bring them all together. That's that's what we we want to do, and I think I think this time we had we had as our winner actually shows, but we had a lot of um, good examples of that. Well, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to talk to the Food Bites winner. And before we go, I'll say maybe you want to think about being a winner, and not in Food Bites, but on the Heritage Radio Network Charity Buzz Auction. You could bid to win any one of a great number of auction items that are the cornerstone of our summer member drive. Why are we having a summer member drive and a charity buzz auction? Why? That's because Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we keep the lights on and the radio on the air thanks to members like you and our amazing sponsors that we're going to hear from right now. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a national nonprofit network with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Chefs Collaborative members work to make sustainable practices second nature for every chef in the United States. Chefs Collaborative was founded in 1993 by visionary chefs including Rick Bayless and Alice Waters, who acknowledged the influential role of food professionals on our food choices, our collective personal health, the vitality of cultures, and the integrity of the global environment. Chefs Collaborative believes that the greater culinary community can be a catalyst for positive change by expanding the market for good food and helping to preserve local farming and fishing communities. Change menus, change lives. Learn more about Chefs Collaborative at chefscollaborative.org. Hi, I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past here on Heritage Radio Network. Using food as a lens to observe history and culture, I take you on a weekly journey through different topics of culinary history. Tune in on Thursdays at noon to hear about the history of such topics as American cake, the accidental churning of butter, pho, the Vietnamese soup craze, and so much more. And help us keep this and other heritage programming alive. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate and continue enjoying great programs.
Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we look at the intersection of food and technology. If you want to get in touch with us about a show, about a food tech story we don't know about but you think we should, we are very interactive. You can find us on social media at TechBytesHRN on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can email us, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. Get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Do you have an app that you like, an app we should cover? Maybe you are part of a startup and you want to come on the show and pitch a potential customer. Get in touch. Today, the intersection of food and technology is Food Bites, a international food ag tech pitch-off conference, networking, mentoring, funding, extravaganza. The New York version of it just wrapped last week, and we have the Judge's Choice winner with us today, Bruce Rasa. His company is Ag Voice. You can find them at agvoiceglobal.com. And next to him is Mike Anunziata, and his company is called Natural Cuts, natural-cuts.com. Gentlemen, thank you for coming out. Bruce, you won the whole enchilada, and it's maybe a little bit of a funny story because when we were talking just before the show, you were in New York City to participate in an accelerator program, and you weren't even really thinking about food bites, and you just kind of did it on the fly. That's true. Yeah, we, uh, we happened to be in, in uh, New York City. Our, our startup's based out of Atlanta. But uh, before that, I grew up on a farm in, in the Midwest in Missouri. My family farms about 10,000 acres there today. So I have a long ag background, but we had a chance to, to be in a, a dedicated tech accelerator in New York and live here and work here for two months. So I was in town and, frankly, just saw it on social media and, and always knew the international reach of Rabobank. Um, but I thought the event was a fascinating conversation led by food, but with kind of agriculture embedded inside, which I think is the right balance. And, uh, yeah, we just threw our name in the hat. So. And it turned out pretty well. Yeah, it did. And it's interesting that you heard about it through social media channels, yep. which is good, which means your social media game is strong at Rabobank. Um, the Food Bites event is fairly well known in the food tech space. My first, uh, I think, connection to Rabobank and what I think of Rabobank mostly for is the Tour de France and the <laughs> Rabobank cycling team. <laughs> we watch a lot of cycling um, in my house, and uh, I always think about Rabobank as, oh. as being you know, in the peloton. So it's kind of uh, a funny sort of switch to me to think about them in terms of the food tech ag space. But so you threw your, your name into the hat, and, and it was spontaneous. So did you have any expectations about what you would get out of it or how it would be? Did you go in just um, sort of like with a spontaneous frame of mind, or were you looking to connect with specific people or really get something out of the mentor sessions? Or Yeah, the short version is uh, we just hope for anything. We, there was more than 100 startups that applied, so we, we just wanted to come to the event and participate. So we were stacked to be uh, one of the 10 selected to present the three-and-a-half-minute presentation. Um, directly to to your question, the mentoring was probably, the mentoring in industry contacts were probably the most important thing. And that is because there's just not only the sheer number of people in the Northeast and in New York City in the metro area, 
but the reach and, and the prominence of the food companies and, and um, uh, connecting with them. To understand the front end of the innovation and what's driving the changes and closest to the consumer was what we wanted to be part of, not be, uh, if you will, be reactive and listen to downstream what people want. We want to go to the, to the front end. So, Mike, what, what was your inspiration to apply to be a part of Food Bites? Yeah, yeah so I think the I, I'm new to the, space, the food space, really been working on Natural Cuts for a little over a year um, and got engrossed in kind of the community over time and got introduced to the concept of Food Bites, actually also through social media, funny enough. Uh, so saw it and said, you know, this would be a really great community to be a part of. Uh, both alumni, current current people that are involved in the program, the support from Rabobank and the Food Bites team. Uh, I, I, I wanted to be a part of it. We wanted to be a part of it. And uh, I think we were proved right already. Uh, you know, I'm honored to be here uh, talking about all these issues with all of you and, and continue to stay in touch with Rabobank and have their support. So what did you um, expect or hope to get when you were accepted? Yay! <laughs> which is already probably an exciting hurdle. But when you were getting ready to attend the events and getting ready for the mentor sessions, again, you know, same question was there. Do you, were you aware of specific things you wanted to talk to the mentors about? You mentioned that you're in the process of trying to do some rebranding and messaging work. Is that something you knew going in? Is that something that was a result of your sessions? Or Yeah, so I, I think for us, you know, we're, we're designing a whole new uh, processing capability that's never been used before that is part of our patented technology and and being able to understand how that works within the food supply chain and the impacts that we can have and talking to experts about how we should be thinking about number one communicating that and number two executing on it as a business uh, it was really great to make those connections uh, from the business side as well as the marketing side with different folks that either attended the conference or were part of the Rabobank team while we were there. So going in, we said, okay, uh, first first goal is let's communicate our message. Uh, let's help reduce food waste with this technology, reduce energy use in the food system, uh, and make nutrition accessible for more people using technology. Uh, but at the same time, we want to be able to make the connections with people that can help make that vision a reality. So... How did you make those connections? What's your, what's your elevator pitch at a cocktail party? Because I went to the, the walk around mm-hmm. part at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And um, it's always fascinating to me to see how people uh, and startups, you know, kind of pitch themselves or, you know, what they say to you to get you to stop and, and talk to them. So I'll ask each of you, you know, you're at that initial sort of uh, mixer networking part of the conference you know, and say, hi, I'm Jennifer Leutzi. I host a show called Tech Bites. It's about food tech. What do you do? Sure. So, Jennifer, AgVoice offers a service to food companies that allows the agriculture and food professionals that do inspections to capture all of their insights in the field um, using, in a hands-free way using just their voice. And that way, the, the data that they capture is absolutely precious because that's that moment of truth whether it's plants or animals, that they learn about the condition and how they can help it grow and how they can help it flourish. And then they can take that information and make it actionable. And that's how we feed into the sustainability supply chain. But what it specifically does on a daily basis is the AgVoice service helps that company to make those daily economic and environmental decisions uh, to make the right choices. Is there another company that does what you do? Uh, No, (laughs) not in agriculture right now. We're kind of 
if you will, in a whimsical way, we want to kind of be the Alexa of agriculture, if you will, globally. Nobody wants to be Siri. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you were in New York also for uh, a voice tech program. Yeah, so we have two parts to our brain. Uh, The other part is the voice technology. And we got in a program in the meatpacking district sponsored by Betaworks, which is a phenomenal studio that, that's I worked with companies like Twitter and Apple and things like that. And they basically incubate uh, startups. And that's helped, uh, frankly, bring us the best voice-related advisors in the world. Just like on the, on the food and ag side, we get the chance now to work with, with uh, Rabobank at a couple of events and ADM and, and groups like that. But What's your biggest hurdle in voice tech? What's your greatest barrier to the next level success evolution? It's frankly, we're building the world's first lexicon for food and agriculture. So it's taking the time, which we're going through now painstakingly, to build out and find all those unique words. So if someone's inspecting uh, strawberries hands-on in California, they want to know about botrytis. If it's uh, sweet corn or something, it's uh, palmer amaranth and Japanese beetles. So we're building that lexicon, and the lexicon's different than a type dictionary because we speak differently than we write. Maybe you need to uh, get in touch with Watson at IBM. Ah, We might someday. Whatever it takes. We want to connect people. We we think we've we've uncovered a very significant unmet need in kind of our journey of discovery because what we found is out in the field, and this doesn't matter if it's urban agriculture in a a spot here in Brooklyn to the larger-scale commercial operations, Basically, the people we're serving actually initially are not farmers. They're the professionals and experts that support them. Mm-hmm. And pretty straightforward, but they need to work hands-on. But their hands are typically already tied up, either with a full-size iPad or a paper tablet, which is, which is cumbersome, or many tools that they need to use. They're in typically really difficult environmental conditions, all weather, all weather conditions, sometimes have to wear gloves. And sometimes things are unsafe. Like we got to go to the, the Cornell Dairy a few weeks ago in their research farm, and the inspector is moving live through hundreds, in fact, even thousands in some operations, of 1,500-pound cows. And they move a lot. And they're big. True. <laughs> so it's these crazy conditions that we're basically doing audio and sound recording in. But that is the, that is the source of our global food supply chain. Interesting. Yeah. So, Mike... Is branding your key to the next level? I mean, are you pretty branding and messaging? And, I mean, we chuckle, but, I mean, to point, everybody here connected with Food Bites via social media. So branding and messaging is is important. Yeah. Yeah, no. So we're actually here for the next three weeks. We're actually based in Ithaca right now, but we're spending the next three weeks in New York working with a creative agency, the Burns Group in New York, to help define exactly what how we best communicate that message. So you're absolutely right. That's a, that's a hurdle for us, um, which we're solving. Uh, the second thing is how are we going to scale up our production capacity? We're really at a, at a pilot scale right now where we're allowing select consumers to try the product, restaurant owners to try the product. And you're specifically dealing with potatoes right now. We are starting with, we are starting with potatoes. The first, the first product that we would like to roll out is the triple bottom line French fry as we, as we had at food bites. Mm -hmm. Um, it's funny. A lot of people have told us, you know, you have this great shelf life extension technology, but you somehow managed to produce a French fry that tastes good, but is 40% lower calorie. 
and uh, they said, you buried the lead on us. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, right, right now we're focused on, or our journey is starting with a, with a fresh cut potato that has a shelf life of at least 60 days without refrigeration or freezing and expanding that to a new veg- uh, whole portfolio of vegetables and fruits down the line as we build our capacity and do additional research. So the original question was, is marketing your biggest hurdle to your next level yeah. of productivity? Because I heard a great explanation of what you do, mm-hmm. but I don't think I heard mm-hmm. the answer to the question of what the next mm-hmm. hurdle is. Yeah, so uh, the biggest hurdle for us is, as I kind of started saying and then got distracted, um, scaling up the capacity. So actually designing a processing facility that uses our patented technology at commercial scale. And that involves a lot of working with consultants, a lot of manufacturing expertise, a lot of building sourcing and distribution relationships to actually get this technology solution to market in a consumable form. So we're, we're spending the summer and early fall uh, talking to investors as well as uh, consultants, our manufacturer. We have uh, one in Pennsylvania that we're working with very closely to figure out how do we actually design this process at scale and take it out of the lab at, at Cornell University where we originally developed it. So that's really the big hurdle is getting this to market. Was Food Bites helpful in terms of identifying a, a roadmap or a battle plan or some solutions or partners? What yeah. was the... Yeah, so, so we... We spent a lot of Friday doing specific follow-ups. So you, you get a lot of business cards at, at, at conferences and things. And uh, one of the things I think that we do well is we always follow up. If we get a card, we don't. you never know where a relationship's going to go and who they know and can introduce you to. So when you're a startup and you're young, it's great to network. So we sent out a lot of follow-ups, and we've, we're working on a few things right now with folks that are trying to connect us to people in the potato processing industry that have expertise in building out these facilities, as well as sourcing relationships uh, through Rabobank specifically, as well as uh, some of the partners that were there and people that we met in the venture community um, that might have connections to uh, large-scale manufacturers or designers that can help us build this out at scale. Okay. So, Paola, just from your vantage point, um, you know, and again, uh, Food Bites has an Austin event coming in September, and the application process is still open for that. If there are startups listening and you think that this might be something you want to try, uh, go to foodbitesworld.com and, and click apply. What, what would your advice be generally to startups in the food tech ag space? in terms of making a successful application to Food Bites, but also just in a practical, logical sense. What's the best way to present their story? What elements, assets do they need? You talked about the five things you're looking for, one of them being a a business plan. And I'm sure having a banker review your business plan is very different from, you know, having your friend review it. Yeah. (laughs) Unless your friend's a banker. I think the truth is the hardest part of these applications are that you only have a very limited space because, like I say, we need to read a lot of them so we can't get full decks. Um, And so being able to say in a limited space exactly what you do and why is it new, why is it innovative, and why will it be game-changing and good for the environment and and good for the planet and the people, um, that's the hardest part. And it's simple, but it's the most important, I think, because for us as a reader, you need to read something that stands out on the page as something that you haven't read before. And 
the worst thing is when we read an application and we still don't understand what the company does. Mm -hmm. And that happens a lot. Um, they, they go into length of paragraph explaining to us the problem of feeding the population of the world. And we know that. We want to know what your solution is. Right. We don't want the explanation of the problem. So clarity. You've actually articulated several problems on the Food Bites website that the event was created to address. It's actually pretty specific. There are four points, um, increasing food availability, improving access to food, promoting better nutrition, and increasing stability. Exactly. Th those are the four points that come out of Rabobank's Banking for Food mission, which is, uh, you were talking about Rabobank and the Tour de France, but the truth is Rabobank is a bank that's been around for 110 years, and we... Outside of As the, has the Tour de France, I think. It's well, over 100 but, years old. But outside of the <laughs> Netherlands, all we do is food and agri. We mm. only operate in this space. So we have been in this sector all the way from the farmer and the input producers to the supermarkets and the restaurants. Um, and so our mission as a bank is to help with finance, with knowledge, with connections, to help producers and the industry grow and feed the world with, with a lower impact on the environment, because we all know these, this is a huge problem. And so Rabobank is very committed to this. And like you say, we, we mentioned those four points there, because that's part of our mission. Um, and so definitely that's what we want companies to address. Okay. So Bruce, I'll, I'll go to you. You know, you, you were the winning pitch. What advice would you have for other startups going into a pitch environment like that. Do you have a sense of why you won? Uh, Is there anything that you could recommend that people could replicate? That's a great question. I'll, so I'll, um, Are you going to do more of these events and hopefully you know, try and accrue more winnings? Uh, I can, I'll answer that one first. Actually, no. So this has been a phenomenal event. We want to contribute to the community and, and be plugged in. But we, our first focus is um, rolling out. We just signed our third customer. So we've got to roll out the product as we do in the second half of the year to fruits and vegetable and, and dairy operations. And so that's our main focus. I mean, literally, you can't do too many pitch events and, and, and business model competitions. But to answer your direct question, some advice I saw and you know, reading the book a couple of years ago, it's actually by Peter Thiel on Zero to One. And the reason I liked the book or the theory was it was basically – uh, there's basically there's quite a bit of, of a herd mentality and in, in possibly in the industry or for a startup. It's harder at first to be completely unique, but his counsel anyway, and everybody's got many different theories, but his counsel was go completely unique. And that's the most important way to stand out. And I think, um, I think that's worked for us. And early on, it was hard as could be. We were talking about voice capture in agriculture and, and, and looking for early stage uh, financial partners. And those three kind of don't intersect, is what we discovered after a while. So to have uh, a, a it, it's really a community. I didn't even know Rabobank was behind it originally. I just saw Food Bites and I, and I learned about it. I learned about what was going on and we wanted to be a part of it. So it's that, those are very unique intersections that matter a great deal because it's an enormous industry. It's very global. It's highly fragmented and it's just getting started specifically in the digital way for things that could scale on a global basis. So um, to answer your question directly, it's uh, be unique uh, and, and go for the go-to stand out. Uh, and it, it may be uh, harder at times and people may not understand you. And you'll also meet partners that aren't a good fit. But um, that's, that's, uh, that's work for us. And 
Mike, what do you think was your uh, discerning factor that brought you into the competition instead of the other 160 companies that they were looking at? What, what's some of your advice to other startups who are looking at participating in Food Bites or other of these you know, stand-up spotlight pitch events? Yeah, yeah I think uh, to somewhat echo Bruce's comments, uh, but maybe in a slightly different way, uh, tackle big problems mm-hmm. and tackle really hard problems. Yeah. Because if it's easy, there's a lot of people that could do it. And at some point... Um, you know, it's going to come back around. So there are a lot of companies out there that are very successful, right? Very big companies, growing companies, um, companies that make a lot of money. But if you're going to be a new one and you're going to survive, you have to have solved a very, very hard problem and a problem that's very, very big. So, um, you know, I think Ag Voice is doing that. I I think we're doing that. Uh, I think there are a lot of the other companies that were at Food Bites that are doing that, and, and, and don't be afraid to try to tackle those big problems and you know have smart people do it. Okay. That's all really great advice. We always end each episode with a little piece of advice from our guests. Um, typically, we try and make it a little universal, but this is such a specific show about business and pitching and startups that it seemed a shame to let the the brain trust in here you know go to waste talking about how to shop best at the farmer's market. Um, which we did talk about in last week's show, I think, or a couple shows back, so tune in. We also did a best of advice compilation, which aired a few weeks ago also, which has um, some pretty good advice from really great, successful people. Uh, I think it's how nine, success, how nine super successful people get stuff done is the title of the episode. If you enjoyed this episode of Tech Bites. All of the 102 episodes are available on demand at heritageradionetwork.org. You can go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio and subscribe, download all the episodes, take it with you. While you're there, you can leave us a sparkling five-star review. If you really love the show, come back and see us on Thursdays at 11 a.m. for the live broadcast. If you can't live without it, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, Make a donation. Throw us what you spent on coffee today. If you designate your donation to Tech Bites, I will send you something special along with my undying love. I'm Jennifer Leitze. This is Tech Bites. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.